I'm Hannah, I'm the pastor here. I am so, so glad that each and every one of you are here this morning. And if you are the praying kind, would you please pray with me? Lord God, God who made our bodies, God who loves our bodies, God who meets us in our bodies, God who helps us know things deep and strong with our bodies, be with us today in our mouths, in our hearts, in our words, in our gestures, be with us. And if any of those, God, we should use to do things that are not glorifying of ourselves, loving of ourselves, glorifying of you, loving of you, help us recover and take our second chance tomorrow, as you have always done, as you have always done our resurrection, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We read this passage, um, as tough as parts of it can be, because I think in it, these couple of verses all at once are some of the very best and the very worst of what Christianity has offered to us about our relationship with our bodies and particularly our relationship to sex. The best and the worst right next to each other, all weaved in together. First, what is it? Where is it from? Um, some of you may have more and less familiarity with this scripture. Uh, it is from Paul, uh, a big figure in early Christianity, right? Paul who planted many churches. Paul who wrote half the New Testament. Paul who met Jesus on a road and fell and was blinded. Um, the resurrected Jesus and had his life changed forever. Paul who had a very bodily experience of who God was. Um, a very inexplicable experience of who God was, Paul had planted a church in Corinth. He had been there for about a year and a half, between 49 and 50, 51 AD. So years after Jesus has died and been resurrected and, and raised. Um, he had been there for about a year and a half, and then he left to go plant other churches and do other stuff. And uh, as was the custom of the day, he exchanged correspondence with this community where he knew people, right? He knew their names. He knew what was up with them. He knew their temptations and their desires and their joys and their sorrows. Um, and he worried for them and they worried for him. And they had profound disagreements about certain ways to live, about certain ways to be a Christian, to be a person, um, to be good, whatever good might mean. And so he wrote these letters and letters were written back. And we only have a couple letters out of this long correspondence, and we only have them from Paul's perspective, right? So we don't know exactly what questions the Corinthians are asking that Paul is responding to, but we know that it's an ongoing conversation. And that it's an ongoing conversation about real people who are living life and finding it a struggle, who are living life and have questions about it, um, about how to do it, and who are living life and sometimes hurting each other. And this is Paul's response. Here's the part of this passage that I think is the worst of what our tradition has had to offer about bodies. Um, the profound disrespect it shows to sex workers, right? Acting as if they aren't also God's creatures. They aren't also God's people. Um, it acts as if the, the people um, that he's writing to, the people they would be interacting with are, are pollution and not like human beings, full created people. Um, this has been a temptation throughout time and especially in our faith, right? That 
Um, if we're confused about what to do, we project that confusion outward and say that it's because other people are bad and doing bad things and they're messing with us. Common, right? Um, here's, here's what is also the, the worst about this passage, that this idea that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit has been used too often, I think, in our faith um, as a source of fear and shame. Your body is a temple, so beware, right? Your body is a temple, so do A, B, and C, or else. Uh, we have some frightening takeaways from the ways that this phrase sexual immorality may have been used in our lives. We may have been told that any form of joy was sexual immorality. We may have been told that um, loving who we loved, finding attraction where we found it, was immorality as opposed to a part of God's created sexual order. How this passage has been used has some of the worst, right, of what our faith has had to offer to bodies in general. Uh, but it also has some of the best, which is that he's trying at all. <laughs> which is that he's trying at all, which I think is something that we've given up on sometimes. Think about how much your body is a part of your experience of every day. What you feed it, how you clothe it, how you take care of it, what you say to yourself about it, the wonderful things you say to yourself about your body, the hateful, destructive things you say to yourself about your body. Think about the things that you have felt about your body that you would never say to another human being, ever, right? Um, the ways that our bodies alert us to the world, the way that we feel tense um, when we're in a tough conversation, you can feel your muscles, right, start to tighten up. The way that they alert us to joy, the way that you're on a hike or you see a beautiful tree or you see a person who you love and all of a sudden your body opens up and lights up and you have a way of knowing that isn't just intellectual, that isn't just spiritual, that isn't just emotional about where you're being drawn in the world and about what God has done that is great. Our bodies are such a part of every part of our experience, of every part of our spiritual experience, of everything that makes us feel good and everything that makes us feel bad. And yet I think we have started to, within Christianity and without, have a conversation that's something like what he says at the beginning. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The two most present options for us I think in today's culture for thinking about our bodies are extremely strict sets of rules, right? Whether those rules are dietary or exercise-based or sexual, uh, rules that tell us whether we're doing things right or wrong, um, and rules that, that are uh, highly consequential. If we mess any of them up, it all goes wrong, right? That we are offered those sets of rules from every aspect of our culture, and then for many of us, we start to instinctively feel uh, that those rules have not served us, right? Those, those rules uh, lead us to places of death dealing or of sadness, and so we walk away from them, but then instead, we start to go to a place of um, no discernment whatsoever. <laughs> okay, let's just never talk about bodies again. <laughs> let's never talk about sex. Let's never talk about food. Let's never talk about any of that stuff because it's too painful and we don't know how to do it. 
we have rules and we have but we've forgotten about discernment, right? About talking to God about what your body is experiencing and saying, what might I be called to? What might be healthiest in this situation? What might be better or worse? What might be more positive or less? What might be more healthy and more life-giving and what might be less? We've forgotten to even ask ourselves the question because we've been so harmed by the shame version, we've decided that never, ever addressing it is better. But those aren't our only two options. They're just not. They're not our only two options. We can talk about food, and we can talk about illness, and we can talk about trauma, and we can live all of that stuff as parts of our discipleship path with God, as parts of who we are, as parts of our spiritual growth, where there's not just one right answer, and there's not, there's no answer. There's the answer that makes most sense for us, given what we know and what we're doing and how we're living at the time. <laughs> because bodies matter. Um, my parents aren't particularly like tell you what to do kinds of people. They always have extremely strong opinions, but they really expect us to sort of make our own decisions. Uh, there's one time, really, uh, that I can remember my mom sort of saying to me, do this. Only one. And it's, she practiced yoga for a long time when I was growing up. We lived in Japan, and so it, there was a lot of yoga surrounding us, and she practiced yoga. And uh, one of my friends, when I was early in college, was about to start going to a yoga class, and she said, you make sure that her teacher knows what she is doing. And I was like, I don't know what that means, and I don't know why you're being so <laughs> aggressive about this. Um, and, she, and she said, um, make sure that the teacher is someone who comes from a lineage, who knows what they're doing, and who is kind and compassionate. Because she said, basically, I have been in yoga classes where it's not just about stretching and it's not just about the formation of your body. I have seen people, when they enter a certain pose, have stuff released, right? Painful experiences, good experiences, have stuff come out. And when that stuff happens, you need somebody who can handle it. You need somebody who can guide them through that experience. Um, you don't want someone just messing around with bodies. They're really important. And I never thought about that way, <laughs> right? That you might carry stuff in this thing. Um, and, and then a couple summers later, um, right, that, that we have to be careful with that vulnerability. I was working at a place here in Chicago that um, is a treatment center for survivors of torture. So it's largely refugees and asylees from other countries who were tortured for political reasons in their home country and have escaped to the United States, but are living with a lot. Right? and have to live with a lot. And, and on one of my first days there, um, they told me, you know, we offer talk therapy to everyone. Like we have made sure that there are therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists available to everyone. But something that you'll find is that um, the trauma wasn't talk-based and often the healing won't be either. So here are some big things that we do. We have massage therapists, we have a garden on the roof, we have physical therapists, we have occupational therapists. The things that have hurt us in our bodies, we also need to think about the healing in our bodies, right? Little moments, little moments throughout our life um, teaching us about new ways that we can see this thing that we often don't, don't think about at all or only think about as a burden, right? As something we've done the wrong thing with or need to perfect or need to make better. Um, I'm about to show you a clip from RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, which the last time I showed a clip from RuPaul's Drag Race was a year ago, so I feel like I'm allowed another turn. Um, and it, they stay relevant. 
So I'm gonna stay showing clips to you. But full disclosure, <laughs> this season, one of the contestants uh, I went to high school with and we did plays together and I really love them. So I'm like totally in the tank for Sasha Velour. So if you're not, I'm sorry. Um, that's my full disclosure. But I wanted to show this clip because I think it gets at so many aspects of our bodily experience and our spiritual experience and our experience together all at once, all layered on top of each other. Um, it's gonna help us reveal a little bit all of these layers that are working in us at once, okay? So if we can play that video. I'm having a day today where I just really wanna clear the air and approach Sasha and Valentina and I apologize for being disrespectful. Can I tell you guys about one of the disorders that I have? Aiden, don't joke about that. Sasha, yes. can I talk to you about Valentina really quick? Yeah, of course. I never really got a chance to apologize specifically to you all over the joke that I cracked about eating disorders. You were having a vulnerable moment, and that's not respectful of me to diminish okay. anyone else's. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm really sorry for that. I also apologize to you. This is a sensitive issue for me because I was severely anorexic for my entire early 20s. I was so, like, unhealthy looking. People would like call me E.T. and stuff because the way that I looked on the street. It was like, I have, I saw a lot. I have a lot of hurt from it still. Are you okay? This is just such a touchy subject for me because I do probably still have an eating disorder. Oh, sweetheart. And before I left, I promised my mom that I would eat every single day. It's so hard because sometimes I feel like I'm force feeding myself. I applaud you guys for opening up because in the past I've had a deep, deep battle with um, bulimia. About three years ago, I was feeling all these pressures by just the beauty standards that exist within the gay community and it's something that I've had a lot of shame about. Sometimes people don't understand that though we come across as these really strong, beautiful creatures that sometimes we're really struggling on the inside. I honestly never thought I'd be able to talk to other drag queens this openly about these issues. Because it's not just a thing with women. I'll tell you that. It's That's very prevalent sure. in the gay community to have an eating disorder. I'm surprised about how many girls have struggled with this. There's power in being able to confide in your sisters and have them support you. This is RuPaul's best friend, Rose. This is RuPaul's best group therapy, race. <laughs> okay, now I can stop it. It's a great clip, right? Um, but there's a lot going on here, because I want to talk about a couple of the things that it teaches us about our bodily and spiritual experience. And the first is one that you is less obvious, which is what they're doing while they're talking, right? That they're constructing a look for themselves, right? That they're putting on makeup and putting on dresses and... Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot, I think, um, is a lot of people encourage us that we will feel the healthiest in our bodies once we find the most natural way of being in our bodies. And there is no such thing. <laughs> um, all of the ways of being in our bodies have to do with the culture that we've grown up in and the messages that we've taken in, and that's okay, right? For these folks, uh, there's a play and there's a joy in the femininity of makeup. Um, that like I, for one, personally have never found. I've worn makeup on three days in my life. Two proms, one wedding, done, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but there are, multiple ways, there are multiple ways to be, and there are multiple ways to be feminine, and I have found joy and play in my body of not doing that stuff, and they have found joy and play in their bodies of playing it up and being experts at that, right? Neither of those is more, like preferable. 
It's about the way that it works in our life. The second, I mean, the second is that, frankly, this is like the best conflict resolution I've ever seen on a reality show. But that doesn't have to do with our topic of the day. But the, um, the second is that uh, the body is a place of such vulnerability, right? Um, that, that what the queens are sharing is the way in which they've experienced deep and profound pain over their expectation about what their body had to be and the things that they did to make their body meet some external standard um, that wasn't serving them spiritually, that wasn't serving them emotionally, that wasn't serving them health-wise. Um, the bodies are a place of such vulnerability. You can see it, right? The, the emotions that come close, the experiences that come close, but that that vulnerability isn't only a risk. It also can be a source of extraordinary joy and connection. Because the third thing about this is that, I don't know if you noticed, but as they, as they start to talk, right, the first person discloses, and then a, freed by that, a second person can say something about their experience, and then freed by that, a third person can say something about their experience, they start to move closer together. They started to, to just physically get really tight, um, and they started to touch each other. And all of a sudden, that vulnerability that touch brings to us, that vulnerability of living in a body that uh, like gets messed up and can't do things and can do other things and has certain abilities and has certain looks and maybe um, right like has a race and a gender and all of these things that the world teaches us about the risk of our body, all of a sudden, that risk becomes a source of deep and profound love, spirituality, and joy. The vulnerability goes both ways. It goes both ways. It can be a source of pain, it can be a source of wonder, of wonder and extraordinary experience. And so our bodies are a gift. We can't leave them behind. <laughs> we can't say, that's not a part of my relationship with God. God cares about my soul, right? God cares about my prayer life. God cares about my devotional life. No, God cares about everything that happens to you <laughs> and everything that you experience, and a gigantic percentage of it is bodily. So let's talk about one specific area of this in which the church has been the most messed up, which is sex. Just as an example, right, of how this bodily processing stuff can work for us. Um, here's the thing that a lot of people will say about sex is that we are on the search for the correct rule book, right? We're on the search for the correct rule book, either the types of relationships in which we are or aren't allowed to have sex, the type of sex that we are or aren't allowed to have, and once we determine that rule book, we will follow the rule book, done. Right, we're great. Um, I would say that the scriptures do not invite us to that kind of thinking. There's too much diversity in the sexual experience of people in the scriptures for that to possibly be true. Um, when Abraham has sex with Hagar, from which comes Ishmael, the problem is not that he has a concubine, right? The problem is not that he has multiple, uh, multiple spouse-like relationships in his life. The problem is that God had told him which one to have a child with. So clearly, the standards for what a family looked like at that moment in time in God's kingdom with God's people were different than they were later. Paul, for instance, while well, he has a problem with going to sex workers in the temple who were also associated with a different religion, right? There's a lot of things we could say about idolatry in this passage. Doesn't appear to have a problem with the fact that in his time and in his world, it would have been perfectly legal for uh, anyone and everyone to uh, rape half of the people who live, right? Women. Like, he didn't have the kingdom perspective on sexuality. He didn't. We know it for sure. Um, 
throughout the Bible, we see different people struggling with different sexual modes. We see Tamar uh, doing things sexually that we never would in order to continue her line, right? In order to continue her line because that was the most important thing in her moment and her relationship with God. I wouldn't suggest any of those actually as models for what we should do because we live in a different time when there are more options for our bodies, when there are more options for our relationships. What I would suggest is that the only way we can go wrong is if we leave God out of it entirely. Is if we never ask the question, is if we never ask the question, um, is consent a part of my sexual experiences? Is joy a part of my sexual experiences? Is thoughtfulness, is like thinking about it at all a part of my sexual experiences? Is covenant, right? What promises we have and haven't made to each other? Um, and those promises can come in all kinds of forms, a part of my sexual experience. We, we see the brokenness of so many kinds of sexual violence or just sexual unthinkingness or sexual systems that have left people uh, hurting, and we instead say, let's never think about it at all. <laughs> when we're invited to something so much better, which is that God actually wants good things for us, and we don't have to mistrust that. <laughs> we don't have to think that everything our body wants or everything that anyone has ever told us is a temptation or a risk, that the only thing our body can lead us towards is pain. We can believe that what God wants for us is joy. <laughs> we can believe that what God wants for us is love. We can believe that what God wants for us is whole relationships. Whole relationships in ourselves with integrity, whole relationships one-on-one, -on -one, and whole relationships in our community and that we're allowed to ask God to help us figure out what that means in our time, in our day, in our age. I know we've covered so much ground, right? It's starting off the Body Sermon series. There's just a lot to think about. Um, we're not going to come up with answers on hardly any of it. But the one thing we can't do is let the rules secretly live our lives for us putting us into pain, and we also can't let the idea that we never think about it um, force us to pretend that we don't have bodies at all and that our choices don't matter <laughs> and that what happens to us doesn't matter. What happens to us matters, and it matters because God wants a whole life for you. God wants spiritual and bodily wholeness and love and joy for you. Um, and we don't know exactly what's going to bring us that, but, but we know that not asking, that not trying, that not discerning won't bring us that because too many of us are, are living in our bodies confused. <laughs> um, God cares if you've been married for 20 years and are trying to get back the spark. God cares if you're single at 21 and are trying to figure out what sexual life to have. God cares if you have an eating disorder and are in, trying to be in recovery. God cares if you uh, have found no joy in food and are looking to try and cook again. God cares if you have found a new form of exercise that clarifies your mind. God cares if you have become addicted to that exercise and are spending so much time in the gym you no longer love yourself. <laughs> love yourself and love your neighbor as yourself and love your body as if it were a part of who you are and not just something that you're carrying around. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of your whole life. It is beloved. It was created. Imagine how you'd feel if the thoughts and the feelings and the treatment you gave to your body, you saw someone else, right, talking about their body that way or living in their body that way, either thoughtlessly or painfully. 
where is the most joy for you? Where is the most knowing for you? Where is the most liberation for you in your bodily experience? Go after that. And then care about what's happening to other people's bodies because we are a part of one body in the end, a body of Christ. As in it, people um, uh, who are of varied abilities, people who are of varied gender experiences, people who are of varied trauma experiences, people who are of varied joy experiences. And when you bring us all together, we have a lot to teach each other. If we, like the queens, move in close, if we, like the queens, are vulnerable and open and honest with God and each other about what confuses us in our bodily experience, about what is great and extraordinary about our bodily experience, about what is painful and hard about our bodily experience, if we move in close and if we open up and start to be vulnerable and honest in that vulnerability, we might find the greatest thing that our bodies and that the body of Christ has to offer us, which is connection and joy, and love, and the kingdom. It can happen, and it can be real, but we're going to have to start trying <laughs> instead of leaving it entirely off the table. So that's the next month for us. Um, we won't claim to have all the answers, but we will claim an honesty of conversation and an appreciation and an honoring of your bodies, which are temples. Not temples you should be afraid of messing up, but temples you should be joyful to worship because God gave them to you. And there is so much more that they can be in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen.